Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, we've been talking about Proverbs. This has been a true Bible study segment that we've been doing, so hopefully you've learned something about Proverbs in the two sessions that we've already had. So what is knowledge? Anybody tell me? Somebody took some notes, really, didn't you? What is knowledge? What? The accumulation of facts. Somebody take some more notes. What is wisdom? The what? The application of those facts. Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs according to the word and, and I mean, 1,005 songs. That you, what we have here is not all of them. So we're, I'm assuming that God took the, the best of them and that's what he included in what he had written down. And so we know that, that Solomon was the man who had asked God for wisdom. And so he wrote down the things that his father had taught him. And it covers life. If you read Proverbs on a regular basis, you're going to get some insight into what God says you should do to uh, handle the things that come through your life. You know, there are things that come and things that go. And sometimes it's really easy to know what to do. And most of the time, that really has come from a lifetime of learning. And yet there are times when we need some true godly wisdom. That it might not be what this situation needs, might not be what we would ordinarily think is the right thing to do. But I'll tell you what, when you spend time in the Word, that the Word is wisdom. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, wisdom is there, and it's available for all of us. All we have to do is ask. And unfortunately, sometimes we get so carried away with life that we stop and don't even ask God. What, do you, what about this? What about this? What about this? I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a very practical person. Fact is, my practicality gets me in trouble sometimes because I measure things just from my practical standpoint, the, my practical view of life and, and how this works and that works and the other works. And, and sometimes I forget, you know, to say, maybe God's got something else to say about this. But, you know, real wisdom in the life of, of a believer is always to just check with God. No matter what you think you know, no matter what you think the facts are, no matter what you think the answer might be, to always stop just a second and just see, is there something here that I need to investigate? Is there something here that I need to take a look at? Is there something here I need to give an ear to? That's what real wisdom is all about. We talked about the fact that wisdom has two hands. What's in the right hand? What's in the right hand? Come on. What's, wisdom has two hands. What's in the right hand? Length of days. What's in the left hand? Oh, did I do such a bad job? Or did you guys just not write it down? You know what? 
there, there, is, there is this, it really kind of stands to reason here, that the, the word wisdom in this setting here is from a Hebrew word that means pound it in, which means learn it over and over, over and over and over and over. So we're going to do some over and over and over. Wisdom has a right hand. Her right hand holds length of days. Her left hand holds riches and honor. Hallelujah. Now, the, in, the old, in, the, in the Bible, the right hand was the predominant hand. Maybe some of you lefties are out there. I know it's not your predominant hand, but for the most, most people, the right hand is the predominant hand, which really signifies the fact that what's in your right hand is the most important important thing. Who cares how much rich is? Who cares how much fame you have if your health is failing you? Money can't buy life. Can't buy it. It can't buy an extension of your life. How many millions and millions and millions of people have died who had lots of money? Howard Hughes comes to mind, a man who had billions of dollars and would have given every single bit of it to somebody who could have kept him from dying. Always researching a way to lengthen his days. Always researching a way that he could, that he could find some kind of immortality or something. He didn't want to give up life, but it didn't matter how much money he had. When you use godly wisdom, godly, godly wisdom will prolong your days. Why? Because all through your life, you've made wise choices. You've done, you've done wise things. You've followed what God has said do. Riches and honor is just something that comes with it. It reminds me of what the Bible says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. What is important? What, whatever is important to you, God's got, a, got wisdom for that. So anyway, we know those two things. Uh, last week, the last time we met, we were talked about the, the six different kinds of proverbs. And so let's run through them real quick. A synonymous proverbs where both lines say essentially the same thing. Like Proverbs 11.25, a liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that waters himself shall be watered also. Um, is basically saying the same thing. Somebody who's generous will always be well supplied, basically. Number two, there's an antithetical proverb, which the thought in the first line is followed by the negative of that in the second line. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. You ever see anybody who had a dried up spirit? There are people that, you know, over the years that I've encountered good, God-loving, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, tongue-talking people that you can't get them to rejoice. And they're always just depressed and always down and always, you know, just, oh, woe is me. Listen, the key is rejoicing, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Well, I've got nothing to be merry about. Yes, you do. You're breathing. Aren't you breathing? Did you have food to put in your mouth this morning? Did you have clothes to put on your back? Did you have a house over your head? Did you have a card? Look around at all the things to rejoice in. Is God the Father that you serve? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you on your way to heaven? There is so much to rejoice in. Listen, you need, if, you, if you're, well, I'm, I'm just not really a humorous person. Well, you need to get humorous. You need to get happy. 
You need to be able to laugh. You need to be able to laugh at yourself, probably. You need to be able to find humor and everything. You know, I remember some times over the years, you know, with, with the health crisis that we've, we've experienced over the years, and there were just times we would just have to laugh about it. You just get in the devil's face and you just laugh. Well, it didn't sound much like laughter to start with. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 You know, you have to make yourself do that. Do you find where that merry heart is? It's in you. The fruit of the recreated human spirit of love, joy. Joy is resident on the inside of you. You can become a merry person. But nobody else can do that for you. You know, it's not... Nobody, nobody can get, get laughter for you. Nobody else can get merry for you. Nobody can rejoice but you. You have to rejoice for yourself. I have to rejoice for myself. A merry heart does good like a medicine. It will cure a lot of things. Sometimes you can laugh your way out of situations. You can laugh your way into health. You can laugh your way into prosperity. I've told you the story before about someone who was very upset with us because that, you know, there was running going on in the church. And they said, running never got anybody saved. And I looked at them and said, yeah, but it sure got a lot of people healed. You don't run unless you're joyful. Joy is what will trigger your ability to run. And I'm telling you what, it's, it's a cure for a lot of things. Amen. So I, I'm going to try to stay on task tonight. Pastor already said, stay on, stay on task, stay on task. Don't go full of rabbit trails. But I like the rabbit trails. Anyway, um, number three, there's a synthetic proverb where both lines, lines seem to express a totally different thought. Maybe even they look like they're opposite, but have a common theme like Proverbs 10, 18. He that hides hatred with lying lips and he that utters a slander is a fool. One of them hides something. You know, this devious kind of subtlety over here. And one of them's just open with what they say. And yet the theme that binds the two together is, is it's a bad way to use your mouth. Now, isn't it? Amen. Thank you for that one amen. Hallelujah. Number four, there's an integral proverb where the second line completes the thought of the first. It's almost like it's a continuous flow. This is an example here of in Proverbs 19, uh, verse 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter end. Well, now there's something you could stop and talk a lot about. Hear it and receive it. How many times do we sit in service and we hear it, but there's no receiving going on? You can tell when people walk out, nothing's different, nothing's changed. When you receive instruction, it will change you. It will cause a difference in you of some kind. Uh, like Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Not when he gets to be 55, but when he's old enough to make his own decisions, he won't depart. Isn't that right, Miss Michelle? Train up a child in the way they should go. That training is, comes from a lot of sources. That means that you put them through their paces, that you monitor what they do, that you lead them into right decisions, that you put them in places where somebody is going to back up what you've put into them. You follow through as a parent. You pray. Part of training a child is prayer. And prayer for a child needs to start before they're born. As soon as you know you're pregnant, that, that, you need to be praying. 
praying for that child, praying for their future, praying for their future spouse, praying for the, for the, for the line of work that they'll be involved in. You pray for them. That's part of training. When they're, go, when they're old, when they get up to an age they can decide for themselves, that's when they won't depart. There is nothing more rewarding for a parent than to see a child grow up and continue in the things of God because it's in their heart. It's in their heart. Not because somebody's made them go to church. How many people have I seen over the years who've raised their children in church and as soon as they hit that, what they call that magic 18 number, which you know means nothing as far as I'm concerned, uh, as soon as they hit it, I'm not going to church anymore. You can't make me. I'm an adult. Sad. I mean, tears your heart up. What I want to see is somebody who gets to that, that age and says, I love God more than I've ever loved him before. I know he's got a plan for my life. I know he wants, he wants the best for me, and I'm going to do everything I can to follow the plan he's got laid out for me. That's what does a parent a lot of good. I tell you, it, there's, there's, there's nothing like it. Um, Another rabbit trail. Sorry, Pastor. Uh, number five, a parabolic proverb. The first line illustrates the second. We talked about this one. Proverbs eleven twenty two. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman who is without discretion. Dumb blonde syndrome here, you know, is what that is. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of was looking at this late this afternoon. I thought to myself, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. You know, that's just an old, you know, saying that's not in the Bible. But don't cast your pearls before swine. I mean, you know, it just, it don't do any good. I mean, what good, what, what, is, what, is a, what does a swine need with pearls? He's just going to eat them. You know, not, not going to value it, nothing. But anyway, um, even Proverbs 22.10, Cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. No, that one, sorry, that was an integral. I just happened to guess I like that one pretty good. Anyway, Proverbs 20, verse 26 is a parabolic. Uh, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. So where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceases. Ooh, how about that? If you don't give fuel to something that you hear, it won't continue. It'll stop with you. Seems to me in Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus taught on the Mount of Olives. You know, sometimes we need to remember that. And when somebody comes to you bearing tales concerning another person, stop it. Dead in its tracks going, I don't want to hear that. That's my brother. That's my sister. I don't want to speak ill of them. And I don't want you to speak ill of them. I don't want to hear what you have to say. If you think they have a problem, then let's pray for them. If you have a problem with them, then I'll help you pray that you'll get beyond it. But when there is no fuel, it won't continue. So don't give somebody fuel. You know, the worst thing you can do is to listen to that kind of stuff. Because you don't know the whole situation. You're hearing one side. You're hearing one side, and we all know that there's your side, my side, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. If you only hear one side of, it, of something, especially concerning someone else, what you're going to do is you're going to be influenced and your opinion of that person that you're talking about will be forever changed. 
Now, you, that can be in a lot of situations. It could be, it could be a friend is talking to you about another friend. It could be a family member that another family member is talking to you about. I've seen over the, over, over the course of time where, you know, uh, a daughter talks to her mother about how bad her husband is. Well, then that mother has a terrible opinion of, of this son-in-law. And it, it, it can go for years where she'll never rem- forget that. I've seen that happen. I mean, I, I, I know of somebody who, who did that constantly, was constantly complaining, constantly complaining, constantly complaining to her mother about, about her husband. And things changed. You know, he, he was following God after that. She was following God. They had a good marriage. And yet the mother would never let go of some of the things her daughter told her back when, when there was problems in the marriage. Don't do that. If you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody who's objective, who will love both parties that are involved in any situation. Don't provide fuel for that kind of thing. Number six, there's a comparative proverb, and that's where it compares one thing to another to illustrate a common trait or theme. We use this one, Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Oof. Annoying, get on your nerves, get under your skin, that kind of thing. So anyway, those are the, the that's what catches us, catches us up. So anyway, tonight we're going to just talk about uh, um, the first nine chapters in the book of Proverbs are lessons on wisdom. In chapter one, I'm going to give you just a little highlight of what each chapter for, through chapter nine is is about. Chapter one. It's, it's talking about resisting the influence of violent men and heed the voice of wisdom because those who ignore it will live to regret it. That will just summarize chapter one. Chapter two, wisdom is found through knowing God. It's hard won, but worth every bit of effort. You need to safeguard yourself against wrong company, male and female, and it sits, sets men's feet on the right path. Do I need to go over that anymore? You all got that. Chapter 3 is about taking wise teaching to heart, staying humble, trusting God. It says that wisdom offers things that money cannot buy. It talks about the fact that wisdom was at work in creation. And it's still worked out every day in the do's and don'ts of everyday life and relationships. There's so much about Proverbs. You could spend so much time in Proverbs. Chapter 4 teaches the teacher passes on his father's instruction. He tells us that wisdom leads to life and cautions us to steer clear of wrongdoing and wrongdoers. Chapter 5 talks about being wise when it comes to women. Don't fall for a cheap line, especially from a married woman. She's a femme fatale and more than just name. It says to find, it talks about finding pleasure in your own wife. Stay in love with her. So, man, this is a good chapter for you. Chapter 6, it's got warnings in Chapter 6 about unlimited liability, It warns against idleness. 
It wrongs. It talks about being um, avoiding people who are a bad lot. It talks to us about keeping God's command. In fact, go with me to uh, chapter six of Proverbs, and let's take a look at something here in chapter six, starting in verse sixteen. It just, I think it just. There's a, sometimes there's uh, it's good to look at a couple of these things in these different chapters just because they just need to be brought up from time to time. In verse 16, it says, These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So what are they? Number one, a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. That right there can be tied to what we call today as a woman's choice, abortion. We look at that and we just think, you know, hands that shed innocent blood. You know, we think, well, somebody who killed somebody else. Well, isn't that what abortion is? Somebody who killed somebody else. Listen, I have a choice over my body. That's what they tell me. But if I happen to be pregnant... I have a choice over my body, but I don't have a choice over that baby's body. That baby has a choice. And I need to let that baby have a choice. You know, we were young. You, you all know the story. We were young. I was 16 and pregnant. Pastor came to me and he said, you know, we, we were just trying to figure out what are we going to do. And he, he, he broached the idea of an abortion. That was 1970. The only place it was legal back in those days was in New York. And so he said, you know, we, we could fly up to New York and we get this taken care of. And I went, absolutely not. We're not doing that. There's no way. You know, and, and of course, it was, just, it was just one of those things where you're just like, okay, how do we get out of this? What kind of mess have we, can we, can we, how can we undo all this? Well, there is no undoing it. There's just not. You know, there have been millions of children lost because of this. God does not take it lightly. God does not take it lightly. A lot can be said right here. How many, how many people, how much potential has been lost because it was my body and my choice? How many people, geniuses, inventions, cures, evangelists have been lost because they were inconvenient? There's no telling. No telling. But anyway, it goes on, it says, A heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. How about that's, that's called gossip. We think we're just kind of passing along some information sometimes. Well, you need to know this. What is it? Is it really trying to say something that's called gossip and kind of putting a little better spin on it? says God hates those things a false witness that speaks lies and he that sows discord among brethren you know when you take a look at those four verses I don't think God's changed six things does he hate did he hate them did he stop hating them just because Jesus came and there's a new covenant established I think it's the same God you know, that we serve today. 
And I don't think he looks kindly on any of these six things today any more than he did then. So Proverbs is a wonderful place to kind of re, revamp some ways of thinking, to adjust actions, to, to really be mindful of how you relate to people and the things that we do. But anyway, we'll go on from there. Um, verse 7 talks, the whole chapter is about a young man's seduction by a married woman. Verse, I mean, chapter 8, he's contrasting a, the picture of, of wisdom that's open and honest, that the value of wisdom is beyond earthly fortune, that wisdom stands at the head of God's creation, that it's the very first of all created things. Chapter 9 compares, compares wisdom and folly. Wisdom brings life, and folly brings death. Stupidity, doing things just because this is what I want, will never get you where you need to go. You know, it's, it's imperative if we, if we want to see long life and see a good life that we know and understand the wisdom of God and do it. See, there's a lot of times people will see what, what wisdom is. They'll see what God wants them to do and refuse to do it. You know, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we pray for people that the eyes of their understanding may be enlightened. The eyes of their understanding. That means that God shows them some things that they may actually understand it. Now, you think, well... How can somebody actually understand what God wants and what God's saying to do and not do it? We do it all the time, all the time, to one level or another, in one measure or another. But you know what? We don't have to. We, we can get to a place where we, we are diligent in saying, Lord, show me what to do, and I will do it. I will. Wisdom is, is only going to be as good as you, as you put it into practice. Now, chapters 10 through 15 talks about virtues and vices. Chapters 16 through 29 talk about life and conduct. Now, Proverbs 30 is attributed to Agur, the son of Jacob, not Solomon. And Proverbs 31, it says this is King Samuel is writing, King Lemuel, that is, is writing down a prophecy taught to him by his mother. We always think of that Proverbs 31 woman, you know, and so, but, but that's not necessarily attributed to Solomon, although some people seem to think that Lemuel was a, was a pet name that Bathsheba had for Solomon. So anyway, that's just kind of an overview of those kind of things. So man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Let's talk about that tonight. Uh, you know, we, we understand that there are three words in, in the study of Proverbs. They're knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And so we know that knowledge is an accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the application of the of facts. Understanding refers to the ability to arrange the facts. And we know, again, like we said earlier, that the word wisdom here means pounded in. You have to keep going over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. That's why from the time kids are born, we teach them how to make decisions, what the right thing is. You tell them right up front, this is, you do this, you do this, you do this. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Do this, do this, do this. We're pounding it in. We're establishing wisdom in their little lives. 
Every time we tell them the, the right thing to do, and they do it, and tell them the wrong thing, don't do that. We're pounding it in. Because we have two teachers here. In our lives, number one, our, our, our main teacher should be the Word of God. Main teacher. But in life, our other teacher is experience. Now, you know, you've heard some people say that experience is the best teacher. No, it's not. No, no, it's not. You know, because uh, it's not necessarily the best way to learn. There's people who say, well, I've, I've been to the school of hard knocks. Well, God could have saved you from some of those hard knocks if you'd been listening to him. He doesn't want you to have to learn it the hard way. You know, and unfortunately, you know, um, sometimes experience just doesn't, isn't just enough to teach some people wisdom because they keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. I mean, it's like you're going around, it's going around the mulberry bush constantly. It's, and, there, and you hear people all the time going, I just don't know why my life is like this. I'm going, could you keep doing the same dumb things? If you don't change what you're doing, experience should teach you that this doesn't work. And yet they keep doing it. I mean, I can think of all kinds of people, family and non-family. You know, they just, they just have a constant round of crisis and trouble and all this stuff. And, and it's because they don't stop doing what they've been doing. If it's not working well, stop for Pete's sake. And, and find a new way to do something. Maybe somebody else can help you if you go seek some wisdom and some counsel from somebody who, who seems like they're doing a pretty good job at life. You know, but you know, the, the best school that you and I can go to is the school of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you what. I don't understand how people even exist in this life without the understanding that the Holy Spirit, the one who leads and guides, who gives, who gives answers, lives on the inside of them. And they can look right here anytime they need an answer. And he's there, able, willing, ready to give them the answers that they need. My goodness, if there's anything I could tell any kind of a believer is you learn all you can about the Holy Spirit. And you learn to listen. You learn to hear. You learn to identify when he's talking to you. And you learn to do what he's telling you to do. That's the experience I need. I'm telling you what, when you begin, when you begin to listen to what he's got to say, and you do what he says, and you receive the results of doing what he said, you go, wow, that's going to make me want to listen to him even more. Hopefully. Hopefully. And yet you see people, you know, who backslide all the time. And you know God's been talking to them. You know the Holy Spirit's been talking to them. And they've just ignored it. They've just, they've just shut it out. You know, your kids can just, you know, turn the dials like on a, on a radio or something. Just turn you off something. You're talking to them. And they just, they have no clue what you said because they don't want to hear you. There's a lot of believers who do that because they've already made up their minds what they want doesn't matter what the Holy Spirit says. And he's trying to protect them, trying to save them some heartache down the line. You know, God talks to people in, in, in small things and big things. You know, and when it's a big thing, he's trying his best to get you to not make 
a mistake that is going to be costly. Little things sometimes can wind up being costly. You know, when I, I look at my children and, and I think one of the biggest things in their lives, you know, has been who they chose as a mate for the rest of their life. You know, and that took prayer, took prayer on our part. We prayed away some people. You know, and as a parent, you need to pray. Beyond a certain, there is no age at which your children don't need your prayer. Because they're still going to have decisions to make. And some of them are life-changing decisions, momentous decisions. But one of the biggest ones can ever happen is who they choose as a spouse. You know, I, I have a, a friend of mine who is who's a pastor, and him and his wife, and she and I sat down a number of years ago. I mean, it was, I don't know, sometime around the time that I think PG and Miss Amy got married. And I think her oldest son got married about the same time. And uh, we were comparing wedding stories, you know, and I just, I was, I was talking to her about, about the fact that, you know, the day they, they, get, they got married, we had been down at the church and, and uh, doing some decorating and that kind of stuff, you know, getting ready for this, for this wedding. And, and uh, everything was great. And the morning of the wedding, I just sat down and just bawled like a baby because I was so happy that he had found someone who would love him, someone who loved God first and foremost, and somebody who would, who would be his partner in life, that they could count on each other to, to take life by the horns if they had to and could get through whatever the enemy would ever throw their way. He had made a good choice. And I sat there, and this, this wonderful woman, I just love her, she talked to me about how the day she, her son got married, she cried too. But she said, I, everybody thought it was because I was happy. And she said, I wasn't crying because I was happy. I was crying because I knew he was making a mistake. Oh. Mm. Pray. That's what I can say. Pray. And if you're in a place where you, you're going to make a decision about a spouse at some point in your life, you know, who knows? Maybe you've had a spouse. Maybe they're not there now. Maybe there's an opportunity that comes up. You need to make sure you pray. You need to make sure you set out some parameters for what you want in a spouse and that they must meet every single one of them. There is nothing on the table that's an option. Oh, this is, you know, it's like buying a car. Well, do I want heated seats or not? Oh, I don't need heated seats. Be nice, but I, be, I don't need heated seats. You know, it's not a car you're buying into. It's a life partner you're buying into. And you need to make sure that every single one of the qualifications, qualities that you're looking for in a spouse, and you set those qualifications long before you start, before you start looking. Because when you start looking, the enemy is always going to bring the wrong person into your life. He's always going to bring you an opportunity to make the wrong choice. And so you need to have... You're, the qualities you're looking for set in stone before anybody comes your way. And they must meet every single one of those. There are no options. If you want the kind of marriage, if you want the kind of life that God intends for you to have as a family, you make sure every one of those boxes are checked. Every one of them. 
Because if they're not, there's a cost that comes with it. Boy, I don't know why I got off on that. Anyway, uh, it is what it is. Hallelujah. Um, in Proverbs 1, verse 7, it uh, says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of the Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. That word right there, instruction, actually is a Hebrew word for discipline. It takes discipline to get wisdom. That means sometimes turn off the TV. Discipline will tell you to put the game thing down. Discipline will say, shut the internet down. Get off your Facebook. Get off this. Get off that. Discipline will tell you to get up early so you've got time. You may say, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time. Yes, you do. You can find the time. People always can find time for what they want to do. Always. We can make the time. We can figure out the time. We can, we can carve out the time. We can, we can get rid of other things to get the time we need to do it if we want to do it bad enough. It take, will take discipline for you to, to get wisdom in your life. Discipline your body. Discipline your mind. It'll take discipline. Because it's not going to come through your natural intellect. It's going to come through your, your being in the Word. It'll come through you meditating in the Word. It'll come through you going over it and over it and over it and over it. That's what meditating is, going over it and over it and over it and over it until it's a part of you. It takes discipline to do that. The discipline of putting the Word of God into your heart causes you to become sensitive to people around you, to things that are going on around you. I'm telling you what, you keep putting the word on it. You can get around somebody and you'll, kind of, you'll know right away, this is not a good person to be around. No, 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 no. I need, I need to remove myself from this situation. I need to remove myself from this relationship. You know, being in a situation, you can be alerted like that. If you just take time to put wisdom, get it all down on the inside of it until it just permeates you from top to bottom, we can live a life that we can follow the things of God to such a degree that things are always going smoothly. And when the enemy tries to put a little bump in the road, we can sail right over it. That bump is there, but, you know, it doesn't cause us any damage, doesn't cause us any harm, doesn't delay us at all. Hallelujah. Um, discipline will give us that wisdom. Um, the ability to make wise choices is not just something you're born with. It's something that has to be learned. It has to be taught. You know, training up the child, we talked about a while ago. It, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. You give a kid an option of candy or broccoli, I can guarantee you that 99% of them are going to choose the candy. Well, that's what a parent's there for. You can have that candy after we've had the broccoli, but not to the same degree. See, there's more wisdom that goes along with that. You can have all the broccoli you want. You cannot have all the candy you want. You're teaching them to discipline their flesh for what's good and what is okay in moderation. You know, I need to learn that still sometimes. What's mm, mm. <laughs> wisdom is an acquired thing. Hallelujah. Um, you know, just 
it, it's good to see that people have some good sense sometimes. But that good sense didn't come out come without some training and some discipline. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.